You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com. My name is Quentin. I'm the pastor of Redemption Church, Calgary South. It's so good to be here with you guys. Trevor and I usually annually swap out the Sunday after Christmas. And if you remember last year when I was here, I woke up to drive up here and my car was stolen in the driveway before I could get up here, but we made it up. And uh, so today nothing's been stolen, stolen but uh, the day is not over yet. You never know. I'm going to ask you to grab your Bibles and turn to the book of 1 John here this morning. If you don't have a Bible, I, always, I know that there's plenty in the back. Our ushers would love to bring you one. If you don't have a Bible at home, take that home. That is your gift uh, from this church to you. We want you to be in God's Word at all times. And so as we turn in our Bibles to the book of First John, we're going to be looking at verses uh, 5 to 10 in chapter 1 this morning. And as you're turning there, I'm going to ask you about authenticity and how important true authenticity is like especially as we've come through this past season of giving giving and receiving you know giving gifts to those that we love how important is it when it comes to purchasing those gifts and those products how important is authenticity how important is it when it comes to buying those products as gifts to them being the real, genuine, certified, authentic thing. Like let's say, for example, when it comes to buying clothing or sports gear or that certain product that you're buying for your teenager or your kid, how important is it that you get them the real, genuine product? The one with that logo on it, that genuine tag or brand name that is stamped upon it, showing us that it is actually, in fact, the real thing. Maybe it's those authentic Levi's jeans or that authentic Carhartt toque or those Nike shoes, whatever brand it may be. Maybe even more so when it comes to the quality and authenticity of more valuable items like, let's say, jewelry or gold or diamonds. What about their certified level of purity or clarity or color? And how they're going to come with either that stamp or a certificate that guarantees that it is actually authentic. And then maybe even more than that, how important do you think authenticity is when it comes to business or or commerce, when it comes to products or commodities that are being sold as either the real authentic thing in a world full of fake reproductions or knockoffs? Like if you've ever been to a flea market or shopped the online marketplaces, you have to be really careful that you aren't duped into purchasing something that is not the real thing. In fact, recent numbers estimate that these counterfeit products cost our global economy about $300 billion a year. Well, friends, if authenticity in our world is a massive deal, authenticity to God is an even bigger deal. And so as we step into this book of 1 John here this morning, this book is all about authenticity. As the Apostle John is writing this letter to a church 
that had been recently disrupted and disturbed by false teachers who were teaching a counterfeit gospel that almost destroyed this church, this book of 1 John contains a series of tests that are given to the church to examine whether or not they are the real thing, to test whether or not the the faith that they claim to have is the, the real and genuine gospel of faith. And so in our text today, in verses 5 to 10 of chapter 1, John is going to give us a test of authenticity. It's a test that compares what we say we believe with, with how we actually live. And so, friends, as we look forward into this new year ahead of us, as we may be making all kinds of plans and, and resolutions, let us also take time to take a good look at our faith and to look at the authenticity of our faith, to take a look also in that as to how we live, because how we live will either verify or nullify what we say we believe. I'm going to say that again. How we live will either verify or nullify what we say we believe. And so let's read in 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 to 10. The Apostle John writes, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we gather together as your bride the bride that you purchased by your son's blood, as we come filled by your Holy Spirit, as the saints, Lord, we pray that you'd be at work within us, and more so we pray as your word is open before us, that your spirit would actively put these words that you have before us into our heart, that we would receive them with joy, that you would give us ears to hear, eyes to see the glory of Jesus Christ. And as we step into this test of authenticity, that you would do the great work of revealing anything that that needs to be done. Further work to be done by the Holy Spirit, by your word. We pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So friends, as we step into this mirror of of, uh, this book of 1 John, the book of 1 John, and we're going through this as a church, is, is like a mirror. It's a mirror that upholds the standard And it's a mirror that really reveals what's going on in your faith as we compare ourselves to the standard. How we live will either verify or nullify what we say we believe. And so as John starts out in this examination process for his beloved church, as any good authenticator does, he starts out with the prototype. He starts out with the real, the true, authentic one. Verse 1 says... 
he and the apostles, is who he's referring to, heard and saw and touched. He's, he's starting out with Jesus. He's starting out with the eternal Son of God himself, that there is only one who is authentic truth. So point one is authentic truth. God is the radiantly pure and righteous standard. He states that so clearly in verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you. Just like his refrain from from verses uh, 4 about hearing and proclaiming, he's now saying that the message he heard from Christ himself is what he is now preaching and he is heralding and he is proclaiming to the church. And the message is that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Friends, if we are to truly be seeking what it means to be authentic, we must first hear the message, we must first understand this theology, this truth, that as we look into the mirror of God's word here, that there is a supreme and preeminent truth that God himself is the ultimate standard for all of us to be comparing ourselves to. We don't compare ourselves to the world. We don't compare ourselves to each other. No, the standard that we are to compare ourselves to when it comes to authenticity is the very and only authentic one himself, God. And the standard and quality of God that we are to compare ourselves to, as John says here, is that he is light. And in him is no darkness at all. So friends, it all starts out with theology. It starts out with the examination of God's very character himself. And so we see that being highlighted here at the very beginning of this section that God is light. God is light. Now, we may all quickly agree with that statement. Yes, God is light. We just sang songs about that. We may have heard that before in church. We may have sung that in a song. But what does that mean? What does that mean that God is light? And so, friends, before we can even begin to compare ourselves with the idea that God is light, we have to understand what that means, that he is light. So notice first that John doesn't say that God is like a light, nor does he say that God is a light. No, he says here without a definite article in the Greek that God is light. He's really speaking about the quality that God is and is characterized by. It's something about who he really is, and it's something about who he thoroughly is. Friends, to say that God is light speaks about his very person and his character. His character that that isn't just isolated to John's theology, but it's a character that is described throughout all the pages of the Scripture, throughout the whole Bible. Now, there are far too many examples to recount all of them here this morning, but some of the most obvious are found even in the beginning of the Old Testament. I know that you guys are studying through the book of Genesis, and when we look at the very beginning, even as we look at the very beginning of Genesis As God is light, the first thing he says has everything to do with light. The first thing he says is, let there be light. And there was light in Genesis 1-3. Or even think about how when God saved the Israelites from Egypt in the Exodus, how he revealed himself to them as light. Exodus 13-21 says he is a pillar of fire by night. To do what? To give them light. 
Even as Moses came down from Mount Sinai with that afterglow of God's Shekinah glory upon his face, all throughout Scripture, when the Bible talks about the nature of God and his presence, it often speaks about light. Just as the psalmist said in, in Psalm 27, 1, the Lord is my salvation and my light. Or Psalm 36, 9, for with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. Friends, light is the way that God often presents himself to his people as he both reveals himself but yet also conceals his holy presence. Psalm 104 says this clearly. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment. Friends, light is the way that God chooses to reveal and conceal his holy, pure, righteous presence amongst his people. Now, this wasn't not only just true in the Old Testament, but it's also true throughout the New. When it came to Jesus, our Christ, as, as John so eloquently wrote in his gospel, he testified in John 1, 4 to 9 about Jesus, in him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. So as God from eternity past is now revealing himself cloaked in light, as he then also sent his son to save us, Jesus, the very person of Christ, was also characterized by light. Even as God, uh, as Jesus himself said in John chapter 8, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Even when you remember the Mount of Transfiguration, as, as Jesus revealed himself to Peter, James, and John in Matthew 17, 2, he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light, right? His earthly covering, as that is peeled back, what it reveals is his very infinite divine presence. And what do we see? We see absolute pure bright light. The same light revealed through the sun. And then as you go all the way to the end of the scriptures in Revelation 21, 23, as John is writing about the eternal city coming down, it says, and the city had no need for sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. The lamp is Jesus Christ. And so, friends, that's just a quick biblical theology from Genesis to Revelation which reveals to us over and over again that where God is, there is glorious, blinding, shining light. That God is light. But again, what does that mean? And what does that have to do with being authentic? Well, as God, according to the Scriptures, is light, and as light speaks about His character, to, to be light specifically speaks about His character of purity, His character of truth, and his character of righteousness. That light speaks both intellectually and morally about who God is. In fact, John Stott comments on this. He says, intellectually, light is truth and darkness, ignorance or error. Morally, light is purity and darkness, evil. And so as God is proclaimed here to be light, it speaks of both the personification of perfect truth 
and the model of perfect, pure righteousness. And he is the standard. He is the source of both. That in a world of darkness, as Psalm 119, 105 says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. That his character of truth, as revealed by his word, is always the true way in the darkness. As Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Not just that Jesus knows the way, not just that Jesus knows the truth, know that these are the things of who he is. And friends, light represents these qualities to us. But the problem we face as humans is that we are fallen in our sin. That as he is both perfectly and naturally true and pure light, Friends, we are naturally dark and evil. That we are not the source and the standard of light, but He is. That we often confuse light and darkness, as the, the prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah 5.20, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness. Now, as we are fallen and dark, And as we are so naturally evil within ourselves, friends, we need a standard to look to. And we need a source of light to run to. And so, friends, as John is beginning this section here, he's starting out with this standard. He's starting out with the authentic truth that God alone is the radiantly pure and righteous standard. And so why does this matter? And what does all this mean? Well, one thing we need to think about is that when it comes to measuring our own authenticity, we don't measure our authenticity by comparing ourselves to the world, right? We, we, we're, we're, we're not supposed to go into this world and look at the lost and look at the lowly and look at the despondent and say, well, at least I'm not like them. I mean, look at how far they've gone. Now, we don't look at the depraved society and the darkness of the world around us and compare ourselves to them and, and look to ourselves in that mirror and say, hey, I'm coming out pretty shiny here. Also, when it comes to the church, we don't look to each other in the church. We don't compare ourselves to other Christians. We don't compile lists of our qualities and then compare them to others. And whoever rises to the top of the heap, that person must be the standard. No, we don't do that. We don't measure ourselves against our brother or our sister and say to ourselves, well, I know that I have some work yet to be done, but those people are in a real bad place. I'm doing much better than they are. Look at them. Sometimes we're tempted to look down our spiritual noses at them. Or maybe on the flip side of that as well, maybe we need to be think about how maybe that we idolize Christian heroes. You know, if I could just be like Jonathan Edwards, if I could just be like Martin Luther, or maybe even more recently, maybe if I could just be like John Piper or, or John MacArthur or R.C. Sproul, somehow putting them up as a standard, right? These, these guys are great to look to and to, to model our lives after. You should be modeling yourself after the leaders of your church, your elders. That's all good and true. But they're not the ultimate standard. The very and ultimate standard is Jesus Christ. He is the God who is the most brilliant. He is the most radiant. He is the most true and pure light 
ever. He is the perfect one. Therefore, he is the only perfect standard. God himself, our God who who never said to us, God never said to us, be holy like that guy is holy. Or be holy like that woman is holy. That woman is holy. No, he said, be holy for I am holy. He is the standard and he is no less the standard. And so on the outset of this first section, John establishes that the absolute standard of authenticity is himself. It's God. And this sets the framework for how he is then also going to confront some lingering false claims that are hanging on in this church the church that he's writing to. And he's going to confront these false claims, and you can see them clearly in the text. When you, when you look down at the phrase in the following verses, when you see a phrase that says, if we say, we see that in verse 6, it says, if we say, and then down in verse 8, it says, if we say, and then down in verse 10, it says, if we say. So it seems here that John is confronting three very specific false teachings that are going on in that church in that day, And the very first one we see here has to do with the fellowship of walking. He says in verse 6, If we say that we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So key word here, friends, is fellowship and walking. Now, although he, we may say that we, we have one thing, our actions are going to either validate or invalidate that which we are claiming to have. And so it comes down to authentic fellowship. To truly belong to the light is to truly walk in the light. And so the first thing John engages here is this false claim that is being propagated amongst this church It's being propagated from false teachers that one's fellowship with God was somehow disconnected from one's behavior. That our true belonging and communion with Him is really unaffected by our actions to the extent that somebody is involving themselves in darkness. That's why He says, if we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. You see, if you remember that the the heretical teaching that they were likely experiencing at this time was an early form of uh, Gnosticism, we remember that some of the false teaching that was going on had to do all around the person of Jesus Christ. They're messing with his deity or either his humanity. And whenever we mess with Christ's humanity or his deity, that tends to disturb how we understand our sin in light of God. They believed that, that those who were truly saved at that time were only saved because they had some kind of an inside track. They had some kind of a special knowledge that it wasn't about the physical but the spiritual. Therefore, it didn't matter what was happening on the outside, the flesh, because the flesh was evil in this philosophy. All matter was evil to the Gnostics, and so we didn't co-mingle them with, with our faith. And so this false teaching was all about having special spiritual insight, but yet it was disconnected from how they lived. And so there was a severe disconnect between what they said and what they did, and they were okay with that. 
It's like those who may look really good on Sundays. They come into the church. They dress the dress. They walk the walk. They, they talk the talk. They look the part. But come Monday through Saturday, they, they really have no clue. The world would have no clue that they even claim to be a Christian. And friends, I think this is a problem more than we may even know. There was a time in my own life where I claimed to be a believer, but beyond Sunday morning, there was very little evidence that I had any kind of communion with God. Now, as I would claim to be a Christian, I was so much more steeped in my sin, sneaking around behind my parents' back, getting involved in all kinds of sinful behavior as a teenager, and then even further in my adult years, sin that then became habitual and continual and enslaving, and that if you were to compare my devotion to God to my devotion to sin, my devotion to sin would easily win. And that's what John is meaning here when he talks about walking in darkness. Walking in the Bible speaks about that which, which you are truly following, that which you are truly living. Not walking in the light as God is light, but walking in darkness as evil is darkness. Friends, walking in the Scriptures speaks about that which is characterizing you, that which typifies you, that which marks your overall character, that which you are habitually and continually living out. Now, of course, we need to be careful when studying this, friends. We need to be careful to understand that what John doesn't mean here is perfection. We need to be careful not to read that into the Scriptures here that we can somehow be perfect and never sin. That's not what John means at all. In fact, in, in chapter 2, John says in verse 1, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. No, in John's theology, sin is a reality for believers. But what he's getting at is the idea that we can't just wantonly sin. Because we have security in Jesus Christ, we can't just have a license to sin. That is a false theology. That just because of Christ's justifying blood, that I can then go do whatever I want and still have fellowship with God. Now, friends, that is a false theology. That's what, what we would call antinomianism. No laws, no rule. That because of Jesus, I don't need to, to heed the command of Scripture. Because of Jesus, I'm free to sin all I want. No, that's, that's an extreme hyper view of grace. Just as Jesus said in John 10, 28. He said, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Or in John 6, 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. If we take those texts to the extreme, those texts that are meant to give us great assurance, and we turn those into license to sin, we are believing a false gospel. No, authentic Christians are those who understand that it's not about my freedom to sin, but that I have been freed from sin. And so they like the truth, some of this false teaching going on in the church, they like the truth, but they were denying the other. I love the indicative, the indicative of my salvation, yet I despise the imperative of salvation, right? John says in John 3.19, and this is the judgment that light has come into the world and the people love the darkness rather than the light because their works are evil. 
So John's theology is not about perfection, that's for sure, but it's definitely a rejection of a life characterized by sin. And friends, we've got to get a handle on this. As great as it is to profess your faith, your overall walking is going to either validate or invalidate where you truly are. If you say that you are following Jesus, but in reality, your overall life that is both evident and in secret is characterized by a habitual, ongoing, enslaving sin. If you have an overall infatuation with the evil things and the deeds of darkness in this world, if these things are in control of your heart, while Jesus has zero control of your heart, what John says is we're lying. And we don't practice the truth. F.F. Bruce says this. He says, Orthodoxy of doctrine is no substitute for righteousness of life. Truth in the inward being is what God desires in his people. And when that is present, it will manifest itself in all the ways of life. And so, this is just a massive warning shot coming over the bow for for some of this lingering false teaching that was remaining in Ephesus at that time. And friends, it is a warning for us as well. It's a warning for my my church. It's a warning for your church. And it seems very negative, but, but John will often speak very black and white in order to hit the truth hard because, friends, we do need it at times, that's for sure. And so this may seem like a negative warning here for sure, but John then immediately answers with the positive as he says in verse 7, but, we, but if we walk in the light, which is opposed to walking in the darkness, if we walk in the light, meaning that we're living a life that is characterized as a willing walking with and obeying of Jesus, again, not a perfect life, but an overall growing conduct of Christ-likeness, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, as God is light, as he is the light of truth and righteousness, he says, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Friends, the result of walking in the light is that first, we get to walk in the light, We get to walk with God. We get to follow Jesus, right? That's fellowship with God. And second, We get to have fellowship with one another. Friends, one of the major results and evidences of walking in the light will prove itself in in whether or not we're walking with one another. As we are partnering with the body of Christ, that is evidence that we have fellowship with God when we have fellowship with one another. And then thirdly, the result of walking in the light is that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. That this is the ongoing walking. That is, together in the light with God and with one another, that not only does the blood of Christ save us, but the blood of Christ continues to cleanse us. It continues to cleanse us of all of our sin. As we have been forgiven of all of our sin, God continually works to cleanse us of our sin. And that is our life right now. Friends, that is the eternal life. A life that is growing more and more like Jesus Christ. That's that less of me, more of Christ. I must decrease, he must increase until the final day when we will be free from all of our sin. Friends, this is what authentic fellowship is. And fellowship with God and fellowship with each other. 
And so as we examine ourselves against the standard, we look at what, what we give ourselves to. We look at what we concern ourselves with. We look at what we spend our time on, what we, what we pour our energy into, what we live for. We look at where our hearts go to find happiness and fulfillment. We look at the fruit that is being produced within us. We look at the overall character and, and the person that we ourselves are growing into. And we ask ourselves, what is consuming me? What is my life mostly consumed with? Am I being consumed more with the world or am I being consumed with the Lord? And then in that, do I look more like Jesus or do I look more like the world? Am I walking in darkness or am I walking in the light? Because friends, to truly belong to the light is to walk in the light. Now the second and third false claims that John addresses head on here have not to do with the license to sin, but rather next, it is a denial of sin. And this denial comes in the form of either a self-righteousness or an outright denial of our depravity altogether. Again, both of these are marked in the scriptures by the phrase, if we say. We look at verse uh, 8, if we say, and then look down to verse 10, if we say. So this all has to do with authentic redemption. To be truly forgiven is to truly walk in confession. So worse than the idea that one can sin and have it not affect their fellowship with God, the second and third heresy is even worse because it's a flat-out denial of sin altogether. That a person can, can either arrive at some kind of sinlessness on their own, own accord, they can arrive at some kind of self-righteousness. That the whole idea of having a sinful nature isn't even a real thing, as verse 8 says. If we say we have no sin. The false teaching that was corrupting and splitting this church was a, a faulty theology of sin. It was a faulty theology of man's nature. So first, this false idea that someone can arrive at a place of sinlessness that somehow we can be eradicated from sin altogether in this life. Now some theologians think that this Gnostic teaching at that time would teach because the flesh was evil and the spirit was good, that it was when they received that special secret knowledge of God that with that the flesh can be overcome, that the flesh can actually join where the spirit already is on this earth. That as they are justified in Christ, that right now, that, that not only having that positional righteousness in Christ, they could also arrive at a practical righteousness as well. That as their spirit is pure, they could receive some kind of a special impartation from God. That their humanity could then become absolutely free from the effect of sin. And as they experience that, uh, they, they would, they would uh, misunderstand how sin was to be dealt with. In fact, if you've ever heard of uh, maybe some Wesleyan theology, this kind of lines up as well. Um, Charles Wesley and his holiness theology, uh, they, they, this, all, this is a, adhered to by some holiness churches today as well. Um, his theology taught that one could arrive at a special place of sinless perfection. That as one grows in the knowledge and the faith of Christ, 
that one can receive a special impartation of the Holy Spirit, often called a second baptism, that then removes your inclination towards sin, that you would no longer desire it, that you would no longer commit it. This is what's called Christian perfectionism. It teaches, and I got a slide there, which teaches that uh, justification pardons the guilt of sin. We're happy with that. Uh, New birth overcomes the power or the rule of sin. But then thirdly, they say that Christian perfection removes uh, the, the inclination of sin or being in sin. Now, they twist all kinds of verses to try and support this view, but friends, the plain and most obvious reality for those who proclaim this uh, is just staring in the mirror at them every morning. That no matter what I say, sin will still remain. And so what Paul says to these is that these are false theologies. If we, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So friends, as God is light, he is the light of truth. The wrong theology is offensive to the very truth that he is. Wesley himself would have to do all kinds of dancing and twisting to read the book of 1 John. No, friends, we have to have a right theology of our ongoing sin, or else, as the text says, we deceive ourselves. Which brings us to the other sin error here, which is the idea that sin isn't even a thing. Verse 10 says, if we say we have not sinned, What this false teaching is saying is that that really man is not sinful by his nature. And this is the most blatant of all of these three errors uh, in the text here, that as God reveals so clearly throughout the Bible from the beginning to end, that sin is man's greatest problem. That as Adam and Eve disobeyed, sin came into the world. And as their son also followed in their footsteps, as you guys were studying, sin is crouching at the door. We see this from the very beginning to the end, that the the greatest problem we face is sin. And so to deny that is a a flat-out false theology. Romans 3 so boldly declares that both Jews and Greeks are under sin. They've all fallen short of the glory of God. No one does good, not even one. So to say that we have not sinned is an outright rejection of the very truth of God. And it is the very rejection of the whole reason Christ had to come and save us. Right, if there is no sin, Christ wouldn't have had to have come. No, the truth, just as Isaiah says, and Isaiah 53, 6 says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Friends, if we say that we aren't sinners is to both deceive ourselves, but ultimately worse, as verse 10, it says that we're making God out to be a liar. And that his word is not in us. Again, it comes down to biblical literacy. You cannot read this book and not see your utter need of salvation because we have such an overwhelming problem of sin. No, what John says directly to these false ideas of sin in verse 9 is that instead of being sin deniers, we need desperately to be sin confessors. Verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so that means that we need to stop deceiving ourselves. 
We need to stop making God out to be a liar. We need, we need to stop saying that we have no sin. We need to stop thinking that maybe we have not sinned. We need to stop denying all of this. And instead, we need to be confessing our sin. Friends, authentic redemption is, is found in confession. To truly be forgiven is to truly walk in confession. Just like David confessed his own sin in Psalm 51.3. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Saying that I can't deny it, God. As I look into the mirror of your word, as I look into your perfect righteousness, I see my lawlessness. I see my unrighteousness. I see my sinfulness. I see my transgressions. And God, I confess them to you. Friends, this is what it means to be authentic. It's when you see the real you. It's when you stand downwind of yourself. So let me ask you, do you see it? Do you see it regularly? Do you see it in God's word that he so kindly and generously gave this to you? He gave you this mirror as a measuring rod to to shine into your light, to show you your real self, to show you your sin. And with that, he's calling you to stop denying it. Let's stop the lie. Let's stop deceiving ourselves. Let's stop making God out to be a liar. Let's just stop and confess, to confess our pride, to confess our anger, to confess our lusts, to confess our coveting, to confess our idolatry, our adultery, our fear, our worries, our love of self. We need to confess it all, and we need to continually confess. And when you do, John gives us the great if statement, if we confess our sins, he, Jesus, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Friends, this is the kindness of the Lord to sinners, sinners who don't deserve it, that upon confession of our sin, we can be totally forgiven, and with that, we can be further cleansed from all unrighteousness, the same unrighteousness even revealed in our faulty beliefs. Friends, God is about the business of saving and sanctifying sinners like you and like me. And this is what the gospel is all about. This is what Jesus died for. That as we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord, if we believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, what does the scripture say? It says you will be saved. That in our natural darkness, In sin, we we realize we could never save ourselves. We can never clean ourselves up enough. That even as we receive salvation by grace alone, through faith alone and Jesus Christ alone, we continue to confess all the more. And we continue to grow all the more in the likeness of Jesus Christ. Friends, authentic followers of Jesus Christ are confessing and repenting followers of Jesus. We do not deny sin. We're constantly looking to God who is the light, to the one within whom there is no darkness at all, and we behold his glory, and we be changed by beholding that glory. Friends, that's what it means to be authentic. And how we live will either verify or nullify the very thing we say we believe. And so as we step into this new year, 
the greatest resolution or commitment we could ever make is to take some time. To take some time, especially in the beginning of this year, with the Word of God, hold up the mirror of God and take a deep look into the soul. Take a deep look into the soul and how the living, active Word shines into our hearts. And it shows us that which is impure, that which still needs to be confessed. And that as Christians, we get that joy, we get that opportunity to do that. And then as we look into that Word of God, we look and we see the radiantly pure and righteous standard of God Himself. And we remember that salvation is all because of Him. That He is the radiantly pure and righteous standard, that we could never achieve that on our own, that that is exactly why he came. We could not save ourselves. We are the unrighteous, but he is the pure and perfect standard of righteousness. And on that cross, as we confess our sins, we turn from our sin, he gives you his righteousness. He takes your penalty, he takes your sin, he takes your judgment, he takes your hell upon his shoulders, In exchange, he gives you his righteousness. And so the joy inside of that as a Christian is that although we know that perfect, pure assurance of that truth, we also have the grace to continually walk in the light, to walk in righteousness, to be continual confessors of our sin. And so it comes down to authentic truth. It comes down to authentic fellowship and authentic redemption. Redemption, measuring ourselves, right, not against this world, not against each other, but against God who is light. That in Him there is no darkness at all, and that it's when we are found in Him that we can be authentic. Friends, God is the radiantly pure and righteous standard. To truly belong to the light is to truly walk in the light. And to truly be forgiven is to truly walk in confession. Let's pray. Our God, we are so thankful that although your word hits hard at times, although your word really exposes the darkness within, your word always is powerful to also build us up and to remind us of the truth of the glory of Jesus Christ and the gospel as this church here is gathering this morning and also gathers throughout the weeks, we pray that as we hold up the mirror of God's Word and and as we see the radiantly pure and standard righteousness of, of you, God, help us to remember that it is you that we measure ourselves against. That it's not about measuring ourselves against each other, against the world, but that we are to be holy as you are holy. And then in that also help us use that to remind us of the goodness and the glory of the gospel. That we could not be holy as you are holy on our own efforts. But Christ came here. He came down. As we remembered in Christmas and as we look forward to Easter Sunday as well. He came down to to be the pure righteous standard for us. He is the one who was truly holy as you are holy. And then it's as we trust in him alone for salvation and as we then also walk in the light with him that you continue to grow us and you continue to grow us for your glory and it is in his holy name that we pray
Thanks for listening to this sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. For more information about our church, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com.